Free Thought Project podcast, Freethinkers. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project Editor-in-Chief, Matt Agarist. Our guest this week is Amir Zen. Amir is a content creator and a longtime activist that worked with the Ron Paul campaign. He's a crypto investor, a product formulator as his day job, and also an entrepreneur with his CBD company, Specker. Amir has entrenched himself in health, diet, and fitness for decades, so we're very excited to have him on today's podcast to speak on plant-based diets versus meat-based diets. Well, welcome to the show, Amir. So a little context and backstory for our audience. Uh, We've been following each other for a while now chatting back and forth for a few weeks. And a couple of weeks ago, you made a post about a recent article involving 5 million honeybees that were being shipped to Alaska and got diverted to Atlanta. And apparently when they were in Atlanta, they were left out on the hot tarmac and a majority of the bees died. And you used that article to kind of highlight the vegetarian vegan lifestyle uh, actually kills many more animals. Uh, in this instance, insects, of course, which I know uh, many vegans consider animals. But there's people that don't want to admit that, right? And there are also negative costs relating to the vegan lifestyle. So that fascinated me. And as a longtime vegetarian, I just kind of wanted to hear more about that perspective. So I invited you on the show to talk about it. And especially because it's such a hot button topic right now, right? So um, before we get into that, maybe first of all, we should just start with a precursor of who you are and what your background is. Yeah. Hey, thank you all so much for having me on today. Uh, Jason, I am super excited that you are so open-minded, that you are just open to exploring all of these different rabbit holes. Um, My name is Amir Zen. I am the founder and CEO of a cryptocurrency-friendly health optimization company called Specker. And I have been in the health fitness space um, for many years now. I am a product formulation scientist. So I'm the guy who makes your ingredients lists. Uh, So health optimization and finding optimal health for humans has always been uh, my goal through my adult life. And I used to be heavily plant-based And through that experience, I started finding new sets of information that weren't so new. It was kind of the stuff that I already knew a little bit before I was what I considered brainwashed um, by vegan propaganda. And now it's just my goal to share this information with as many people as possible, because as soon as I opened up to this set of information, 
it just kind of smashes every premise for why you're living a plant-based lifestyle in the first place. The premises for me and for most people are, I want to be healthy and I want to save the environment in the best way possible. And that premise is what I still use. And because of that premise, I now am not plant-based at all. And I have an animal fat-based diet. So about 90 to 95% of my um, food intake now comes from animal products. And as a result, I have felt healthier than ever. I'm 34 years old. And, you know, you think you're just going to start feeling shittier and shittier. But as soon as I transitioned from the plants into animal-based, everything kind of opened up again. <laughs> I'm sure. Gotcha. Well, I know we all have subjective opinions um, as to what optimal health is. Like, what do you consider is optimal health? Yeah. So, okay. I view health as a balanced and regulated bodily system. And that would represent a healthy individual. Now, how do you get to that balanced system and that place in your body? It's focusing on the endocannabinoid system, which is the master regulatory system of the human body, which regulates everything from pain, inflammation, mood, sleep, whatever you eat, um, modulates your endocannabinoid system in one way or another. So my goal is finding out how to balance and regulate the endocannabinoid system. And as a result, you will have a healthy system. Um, there's new research that's been coming out over these last few years talking about something called clinical endocannabinoid deficiency, which is a theory that links almost all, if not all disease to some dysregulation of the endocannabinoid system. And if we can regulate that endocannabinoid system, we will be healthy. And this is something I wish more people um, in the health space were talking about, but I really don't see anybody talking about the endocannabinoid system um, and the whole plant-based versus animal-based thing. I'm not even looking at it as plant-based versus animal-based. I'm kind of looking at it at, like, how is it? modulating my endocannabinoid system and then therefore connecting into my genetics um and is my body evolving in a better way or a more negative way through those choices so is that only something that's specific to diet or is there other ways to kind of manipulate and affect uh that regulatory system like with actual yes. cannabinoids like from yes exactly so yeah most of our knowledge today, the main, more mainstream knowledge on the endocannabinoid system is looking at it from phytocannabinoids interacting with your endocannabinoid system. And phytocannabinoids means plant-based cannabinoids that are usually found in the cannabis plant like THC and CBD. And what those compounds do is like CBD, for example, I view CBD as an endocannabinoid modulator and regulator. And taking that to the next step, 
what I've kind of been figuring out is that every single move I take throughout the day is doing something to my endocannabinoid system. Um, and again, since this is the master regulatory system, I'm just focusing on what I believe is the root cause. And most people in health aren't really focusing on, you know, step one. They're usually on like step three or four and starting from there and then saying that's the premise. Um, but then when you go deeper, you find out um, there's a system of the human body that was literally just discovered in our lifetime. Um, in 1988 is when they discovered cannabinoid receptors. So I was born in 1988. Um, so that's how new it is. Um, it's kind of the same as the way I look at it is. Uh, you know, somebody was talking about the immune system and then doctors were saying, oh, I don't know what the immune system is, but here, I'm going to treat your uh, health problem. But no, I don't know what the immune system even means. And then you'd think, well, this person probably isn't going to give me a legitimate treatment if they don't even know what this important system of the human body is. <laughs> so... Um, from there, you know, it's diet, exercise, breath work. Um, so I'm constantly trying to focus on modulating the endocannabinoid system. So the runner's high is a boost and release of endocannabinoids like anandamide. And now new research is finding other endocannabinoids are boosting as well. So a lot of modern healthcare is focused on opioid medicine. So of course, they're going to be talking about those receptors and selling those receptors. Mm -hmm. But then when you actually read the research, they, they did research on this and they found that there is like barely anything, if anything at all happening um, with your um, opioid receptors with that runner's high. Um, and it's important to know that the endocannabinoid system regulates your opioid system, your serotonin system, your dopamine system. So when you have all of these, you know, health influencers and stuff, and they're talking about serotonin and dopamine, they're never mentioning the endocannabinoid system. And for me, I view that as a massive disservice because you're going to have holes uh, in your beliefs when you're not going from the premise. Uh, you know, I kind of look at it as a, you know, if you think about liberty philosophy, libertarianism uh, is kind of taking the logical conclusion and going all the way to the premise on the philosophies. Um, so I kind of view this in the science world as uh, kind of similar. Yeah, for sure, man. So I, I, I'm curious, do you actually use the uh, any the cannabinoids from cannabis plants to, to, to reach the homeostasis in your, in the endocannabinoid system? Absolutely. So my company Specker is focused on modulating and regulating the endocannabinoid system. And I have CBD products. I've used cannabis almost every single day in one form or another for over 10 years. Um, so, you know, again, when, when your favorite health influencer, is posting some meme from some nitpicking reefer madness study that came out 
And then the mainstream media takes that and runs with it, even though there are 30 studies that counter it. Um, I personally believe that cannabinoids are one of the ultimate health optimization uh, supplements. So I don't really take any supplements um, other than CBD. And I mean, I could consider if I consider like salt a supplement, too. but generally speaking, um, I don't take any like potassium, multivitamins, these things. I get all my nutrition from my food. And then the next step from that will be um, modulating and regulating my endocannabinoid system through things like CBD. And I also use um, THC as well. Um, but I don't sell that under Specker right now because thank you, United States government, making it very, very hard for small businesses in this industry to actually do business. So yeah, I actually have a, a hemp farm down here, an indoor hemp farm. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 the, the, I got into CBD, um, years ago, about four years ago, I broke my wrist and I uh, had to have surgery and get a screw put in. And I read a study out of Israel about how, uh, you know, CBD supplements for bone growth, uh, or like for broken bones actually, you know, promotes healing and, uh, the study that they showed actually made the bones come back even stronger. And I was doing physical therapy with the doctors and they were blown away, dude. I was supposed to be in physical therapy for about 12 weeks and I was only in there for about seven. And they were like, how the hell did you do that? You know, and I'm like, dude, CBD, <laughs> you know, and they had no idea about it. You know, they're not even, they're not even promoting that as a, uh, as right. means. And there's, there's, there's science on it, you know, that shows all right. that. In, in medical school, they do not teach the endocannabinoid system yet. Some medical schools are starting. Um, it's my goal to actually uh, help write medical school curriculum on this topic uh, in the future, because if our doctors could understand the endocannabinoid system, the entire outlook on human disease will completely change and arguably that's why they don't know about it because once the doctors actually figure out how important this system of the human body is and how important it is past what phytocannabinoids uh do when interacting with that system then i would think that the majority or a big chunk of pharmaceutical medicines will be replaced. And that's why arguably you have the FDA going so slow with CBD regulation. They just don't want to do it. Year after year after year, they just keep, you know, oh yeah, no, there isn't enough research yet. There isn't enough research yet. If you go on PubMed and type in CBD or cannabidiol, which is what CBD means, there are thousands, thousands, not dozens, not hundreds, thousands of studies on the topic. Cannabis is actually on PubMed, one of the most studied things on all of PubMed. So wow. you can go type in all these different pharmaceutical drugs. You're not gonna find for most of them as many uh, studies as cannabis. And those studies are majorly positive. Now, I always heard that um because cannabis is still federally outlawed as schedule one classification that there wasn't as much testing done. Is that more just through like the, the mainstream type of science and, uh, or is that incorrect altogether? 
So yes, that's that's correct that scientists say in Texas would have a hard time acquiring uh, Delta 9 THC, for example. Um, that's kind of ending now, though. Um, the federal government has started opening up um, and the state governments have started opening up too. But that's that fact hasn't really stopped the last 30 years of scientific research. Like I said, with all that prohibition, there's still thousands and thousands of positive studies done on the topic. Um, a lot of the studies, they don't just come out of America either. There are people all around the world that are studying cannabinoids. I literally just read a CBD study from Iran that just came out the other day. So, you know, you read these studies and you're like, oh, this is in Iran. Oh, this is in China. Oh, this is in all these other different countries that aren't America. And wow, they regulate it way harder in those countries than in America. So it's, it's just one of those things where scientists know how to fill out the right paperwork to get the right kind of compounds to do the studies on. Um, and that's typically how they've done it. Um, what it would allow for if it's completely open is for more scientists to get in it easier without worrying. Because I would think that a lot of scientists don't get in it yet because people are still very scared about what could happen. Um, but generally speaking, the government is seems to be kind of moving away one step at a time, backwards, backwards, away from um, the cannabis prohibition reefer madness uh, that we've seen for the last literally 100 years, if not longer. Actually, reefer madness has been going on for thousands of years when we actually take it back. Um, this, this battle is nothing new. It didn't start with the United States government. Um, this battle for literally thousands and thousands of years has been happening um, to where uh, in certain places thousands of years ago, if you weren't royalty or a priest, you can get in a lot of trouble for using cannabis. So that should tell you a lot about uh, the regulation of this plant. The U.S. just used it to create the largest prison population on the planet. <laughs> that's where that's new. Yeah. Okay. okay. So well, is that the is that the like the one percent or so that of the plant based diet that you have for your for your like intake? It's all meat and then some cannabis. <laughs> so the way I look at my cannabinoid intake is I'm not using that as food. So I do, I mean, my products, I'm a product formulator. Most of my product formulations are plant-based. So I do view in immense value in plants. However, as far as food goes, I view animals as food and I view plants as medicine and animals can be used as medicine as well, but plant compounds like CBD clearly have immense benefits. Now it's important to note that uh, I use CBD isolate in my products. So I'm not using a full plant whole CBD that has a bunch of other compounds in it. Um, that could be anti-nutrients, blocking nutrient absorption. Um, so when I say plants as medicine, I love that we have the technology to isolate compounds so that we can really focus on those exact plant compounds 
and not be worried about, you know, when you use a full spectrum oil, for example, instead of an isolate, you can have hundreds, if not thousands of residual compounds that aren't even being tested in the lab tests that they're doing. And every single batch you have could be something different. So I, I use that, like I said, I use this, the cannabinoids as a supplement um, and not so much a food. If I was going to use it as a food additive, which is actually uh, great to use, like CBD, for example, with carbohydrates will help with blood sugar and insulin spike. It'll help regulate your insulin levels. Um, so I sometimes will have it uh, before or after a meal as well. Um, and kind of taking that into the animal-based lifestyle stuff, the animal-based lifestyle seems to be, from my personal experience in the research, what regulates and balances your endocannabinoid system uh, the best. So I wanted to uh, mention and talk a little bit about the animal deaths um, that you brought up in the very beginning, um, because this is a very important topic. Um, you mentioned insects. It's not just insects. We're talking big animals, deers, ducks, like these plant farmers get hunting licenses from the government to go and kill animals that come into the field. So it, while we have, and then you have rats, like those aren't insects, you know? Um, and then the thing that you saw, Jason, was just bees, just the pollinator bees. So that's not talking about the bunch of different species of insects that are dying, the bunch of different kinds of rat mouse species that are dying, the foxes, and then we take it to the next step, which is after you've shredded and killed all those animals, the ones that survive, oh, now you just ruin their ecosystem and they're going to starve to death. So when you compare that, that kind of death and destruction to even factory farming. Now, I don't support factory farming. I don't eat factory farm meat. Like I am, I fight against that harder than vegans do. But... Like, as we see, if you're killing just billions of bees, just, and then all these other animals are dying too, and then the bees are dying in this gruesome way, it's not like I'm like crushing them, you know? They're sitting there and slowly burning to death. Or, um, you know, I met a guy one time who was a truck driver who actually drove those bees across the country. And what he was saying was, he's like, it's so sad because I'm driving my truck super fast and these bees have to keep up with me at like 60, 70 miles an hour the entire time. And you're just watching them die along the way because they, they get tired from having to fly that fast because they're all kind of outside of the truck trying to follow the truck. So it's, Good Lord. <laughs> it's destruction on a level, like I said, it makes factory farming look nice. And that's really saying something because factory farming is the evil of the evil. So it's just evil on a level where we're not paying attention to it. But I mean, anybody just go cut your grass, go cut your grass in your front yard and see how many, you know, little bugs and stuff are and spiders and things like that are running out and like, Oh no, my house. <laughs> and then just think about that with 
thousands of acres of monocropped plant growing, corn, soy, wheat. And then taking that to the next step, we have all the exotic non-native plants that the plant-based people love, the almonds, the avocados. Right. So all again, non-native plants, they're exotic non-native plants. They're not from here. So that means to grow them here, you have to do extremely unnatural things that destroy the environment. Now, if we're going to compare an animal to a plant, I have one cow that can give me food for an entire year. That's one life. Or I could go eat one avocado and that one avocado to produce and harvest and then bring to the grocery store takes so much energy and so much destruction. It just, it, it doesn't logically make sense at all. So from my standpoint, all of these plants and animals, they're all alive. So when I hear the plant-based argument that the cow has more life and they value the life of a cow more than say a mushroom, when they just found out that mushrooms, some new study came out that said mushrooms have a language and they can speak 50 different words to each other. <laughs> mushrooms are one of the, mushrooms are actually the most connected network on earth. So you're telling me that I have to care about that cow, but I don't have to care about that mushroom. That sounds like kind of fucked up. Cause when I'm sitting there with the plants, you know, these plants are alive. You know that they have extreme powers, but Oh, just because you don't have eyes and just because you don't make sounds like I do, I have to view you as less of a life. So for my whole animal based mindset, it really has nothing to do with me eating plants or animals. And that's kind of where the debate is right now. It's like, you're plant-based, I'm animal-based. No. What is the best source of energy for humans? Forget the, you know, ethics and morality of like killing for food. And let's just think about what is the most efficient form of energy for humans. And that is eating animals. And why can we eat plants? Because that's how amazing humans are. We have the power to survive, keyword, survive off both plants and animals. Now, we take that into the next step, thriving. We cannot thrive from a plant-based lifestyle. It's just not possible because of the nutrient density of those foods compared to the nutrient density and nutrient absorption. So bioabsorption and bioavailability of the nutrients as well. So for that reason, the conclusion is just, okay, well, shit, I don't want to eat that almond because if I eat the almond, first of all, the almond is not healthy for me because it's full of anti-nutrients that are binding to essential nutrients and blocking nutrient absorption. And then as a result, long-term health consequences could happen. Like we're not supposed to eat handfuls of almonds. We're, we're sitting like, you know, who, who eats three almonds? Like nobody. If you're going to eat almonds, you're going to eat half the bag, right? And that's a shit storm of anti-nutrients. And then the next step after that is I had to kill billions of animals for this. 
No. It just, nah. Yeah, I was actually going to get into that. Um, you know, we all often hear about um, cattle being uh, raised in maybe Central South America and them having to kind of take down a bunch of rainforest for that land and whatnot. But I mean, the same argument can be applied when the market increases with something like almonds, for instance, right? There's going to be obviously more farmers, more people trying to produce more almond, almond farms, more almonds. Uh, so, I mean, there's the incentive there as well to create more space, uh, depending on where the market goes. And right now we know that veganism is very, very hot, very hot um, mindset and uh, dietary uh, plan, I guess you could say for, for a lot of people. So um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's issues there with that as well. And I would say that some people do it for the, strictly for the environment, right? Like there's a, definitely a green push to go vegan. Um, but there's, I mean, what do you, what can you speak on to that as far as more environmental factors that people are missing uh, as far as vegan, vegan people are missing? So you brought up a very good point. With factory farming standards, you have to destroy the environment. But the way that I view the plant-based world and factory farmed animals, they're one in the same. Because one has to exist for the other to exist. If one doesn't exist, the other loses a lot. And that's why regenerative farming should be the method that we use. But taking that back to the endocannabinoid system and why more doctors don't know about this, you know, going into conspiracy land, it's like, it's just not, there are a lot of people that make a lot of money off the status quo and they are not incentivized to transition into another way to do something that they already make millions, billions, and trillions of dollars doing. So just like the endocannabinoid system, where why would there be incentive for the medical industry to switch over to cannabinoid-based medicines when they've already cornered and monopolized and made everybody believe that opioid-based medicines are perfectly okay, and they're already making all their money off of it. There's no reason to shift. Like It's just an incentive thing. So, you know, I commonly think about that. Well, if I was in the pharmaceutical world and if I was working at Pfizer, would I be so inclined to be doing this? Um, so, so yeah, the, that's one in the same. So when I'm having these conversations with people, usually they just jump into factory farmed animals and like, look how much this is destroying the environment. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I agree. So just like, you know, you have Democrat, Republican, right? And then everybody thinks there's just one way or another. And then you have guys like us who come in and say, hey, y'all, you know, there's a third way. And that third way <laughs> is way more efficient, way healthier. Um, so... As far as the destruction of all of this stuff goes, you just have to think about it from a standpoint of what is farming. Most people who are promoting, most people, like a huge majority, I say the plant-based lifestyle is a city person diet because you can't do that in nature. You have to get these plants from the grocery store or from some supplement that was made in the factory. So it's not a natural diet. It's a city person diet. So for that very reason, I'm just trying to be, 
a natural human. So let's think about the two types of growing and farming. Again, a lot of city people don't know anything about farming. They've never even been to a farm. So there is a massive disassociation and disconnect um, between their plant-based lifestyle and what actually happens on the farm. And I like to remind people that, uh, you know, Farmer John, the uh, soy and spinach farmer, is not vegan and he doesn't give a shit about the environment and plant-based and saving animals and this and that. He just knows that people are buying those crops. Right. So he's going to go into those crops. And then across the street, he has cows and they're going to slaughter those cows. So this is the disconnect that city people do not see. And once you start going on these farms and start really talking to these farmers and asking these real deep questions, you start finding out that, yeah, it's the entire structure factory farming in general, which is factory farming for animals. And then I take that into what I believe we should be talking more about, which is factory farming for plants. Big monocrops are factory farms. It's just, we don't look at them the same because again, they don't have eyes, you know, they're not mooing. So if, if I see a thousand acres of one crop, that's a factory farm. So in reality, it's just that factory farm mindset. And once we take it back, say a few hundred years to before those massive monocropping operations existed, we find that the majority of humans were seeking out animal products for the majority of their diets. Um, what we see in certain historical examples is that certain uh, societies integrated more plants into their lifestyles during times of poverty. And as a result, long-term, those became cultural things. So why are they eating potatoes instead of meat? Well, because they couldn't find meat. And then they had, they're like, oh shit, we have potatoes. So I guess we're going to go figure out a bunch of different potato dishes. And then this is going to be a cultural thing now. But generally speaking, if you're in nature with nothing, let's say just the state of nature, you're going to be going for an animal. You're not going to be foraging plants because you'll die. You will literally die. How do you, um, how do you suppose like, uh, what kind of system would you advocate for, for like, if everybody say everybody adopted this 99% meat-based diet, how would that be? How could you do that? And like, as a sustainable model in the country with 330 million people? Without well, factory farming, you know, I mean, without, uh, you know, big messes like that. <clears throat> yeah, this is, that's a really good question because the solution is a cultural shift solution. Um, but a lot of that comes from government regulations as well. Speaking of the incentive model, the system that exists has massive incentives for it to exist. And that's why so many people do it. Um, how would we transition into, um, and I don't believe in a meat-based, like I don't believe in 99% meat-based. I think that we should generally be going to an animal-based diet. Now I mentioned, if we go back 200 years ago before they had the monocrop operations, people still had plants in their diets. 
but it's just you couldn't have an abundance of it in all these different types of plants like broccoli broccoli didn't exist a thousand years ago <laughs> so my mindset is just taking it back to the foods that we know humans flourish off of um you know again i'm just thinking about this strictly scientifically like these are the nutrients that have the highest bioabsorption and bioavailability those nutrients don't um so how is it going to be done i would argue we're already doing it um if you went to the grocery store 10 years ago oh my god i couldn't find grass-fed meat anywhere right today Half you find it everywhere yeah. even the mm. shittiest grocery stores there's some grass-fed option right so we're already transitioning into that model it's just an education thing where just like all truths there has been a certain mindset for a long time and we just need to counter those beliefs with stronger evidence and uh again jason you know you uh it really opened your eyes when you saw how many of those animals died and it's just the fact of the matter is is this information is not available the the mainstream fights against it um you know you have the whole plant-based world literally just ignoring it and that's just a massive disservice because generally you just have to be more open-minded and it's okay to evolve it's okay to say that i was wrong like i said i was heavily plant-based i had a paleo food company and most of the menu was vegan so now i eat steak and bacon and cheese every day at that time i was not eating dairy i was not eating any cheese i cut out the red meat you know and why did i do it because i believed i was minimizing animal deaths i believed i was doing the healthiest thing because the echo chamber i was around was all saying that but then when i actually learned science when I actually learned biochemistry, when I actually started talking to farmers and going to farms, I realized this is all a load of bullshit. And this seems to me to be very finely crafted corporate marketing to get woke people to believe corporate bullshit. And as we see today with a lot of the woke world, they're very easily manipulated. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because you always have to pause and take a step back whenever the mainstream latches onto any type of narrative, right? And I, I think the the vegan veganism one is very strong right now, but it's kind of funny because eating meat is kind of like the new counterculture now. And the pen, pendulums is swinging kind of back and forth because when I was in the late 90s, when I was in high school, like that was the first thing I kind of woke up to was like thinking like, man, like a lot of people don't even question where their food comes. They don't question about how it's raised, how it's produced, uh, any of the transportation issue, like all the factors that go into it. And it seemed to me like, okay, this is actually a right step in the right direction, not being in this, you know, kind of autopilot NPC mindset, like, okay, I'm going to go plant-based, but now it seems like people are kind of switching back, but it almost feels like the mainstream and corporate America caught on to that 
uh, that green push, if you will, the veganism push. And yeah, now it's like more prevalent. Um, now it's being pushed in, in many different ways. I think for me, it was threefold, right? It was the moral ethical issue. Um, it was the diet and the health uh, aspects of it as well. But then of course the environmental. So I think it was like all three of those things, which I think we've touched on all three of those now, but it was all three of those. That it made kind of feel like it was, I was moving in the right direction. Um, but yeah, this is certainly fascinating information. And I feel like there's probably going to be a lot more that I'm going to have to tap your shoulder about and just talk about this off air. Um, I know we're getting close now to only about 10 minutes left in the podcast, but I did kind of want to shift gears here a little bit to more of like a rapid fire uh, portion of the podcast. So uh, for shits and giggles, I Googled uh, reasons to go vegan and found an article from PETA from the beginning of the year uh, entitled... <laughs> Here are top 10 reasons to go vegan this year. So um, maybe I could ask or throw a few your way. And if maybe you could just keep, you know, the, the answer is somewhat brief so we could kind of go through them here. But um, so they say, okay, number one uh, for the top 10 reasons to go vegan is it's the best way to help animals. Uh, did you know that every vegan saves nearly 200 animals per year? Now, I'm sure it's not easy to quantify that kind of statistic, but what would you say about that? What they mean is 200 animals like with eyes and stuff. So sure. when they say animals, first of all, shout out to PETA. They get a lot of hate from the meat eating world. But if it weren't for the activism that PETA has done, I would not know a lot of what I know about farming. So shout out to them. Um, but their logical conclusions are not logical. So. Um, the conclusions are not logical. And yeah, that, so that's, that's, that's the answer. When they're saying you're saving 200 animals, uh, sure. what they mean is farm animals. They don't mean uh, rats and foxes and ducks and, you know, all these different things that are on plant farms and deer, all these things that get shot by Farmer John for being invasive. <laughs> right. Uh, number two you could slim down. So vegans are on average up to 20 pounds lighter than meat eaters are. Oh, so you're malnourished and you are starving? <laughs> so you're losing weight? Yeah, I know. Yeah. When I was plant-based, I was like 125 to 135 pounds. I was super shredded. I looked really good, but I was super skinny. I'm 165 pounds now. I didn't change anything in my workouts. I'm still training the same way I'm training for the most part. And I have a lot more natural muscle now, or I can put on muscle much faster than before. So when they're saying you're losing weight, you're literally malnourishing yourself. You're starving <laughs> yourself. As a result, you're losing weight. Roger that. Uh, number three, be healthier. According to the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, uh, vegans are less than less likely to develop heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and high blood pressure. As compared to who? The uh, standard either. American diet person yeah, who right. eats seed oils and this and that and smokes and drinks. And yeah, they're not comparing it to me. That's, <laughs> that's how they do the studies. They do not compare it to the healthy individual. They go and take the unhealthy person and they're like, look, this blueprint is one step better. It's like, yeah, sure. They remove a handful of toxic things from their diet. So yes, naturally that will be the case. But 
Is it exponentially better? No, I would just say like, you know, standard American diets here, plant-based is, well, standard American diet is a plant-based diet. That's very important to know. The majority of the standard American diet is plants. So when, when PETA and these plant-based people use these arguments, it's like, dude, you're talking shit on your own mindset. Like, yeah, the standard American diet has um, animal products in it. But it suggests that you minimize them. It suggests that you barely, if at all, eat fat. So pretty much it is just the same plant-based mindset that a vegan has. It's really no different. Like cholesterol is bad, saturated fats. You shouldn't have too much of it or else you'll get cardiovascular disease. Um, Yeah. So uh, number five, I didn't do all of them, by the way. I just picked out the ones that didn't seem as subjective. But uh, speaking of which, meat is gross. Uh, John Hopkins, uh, Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health tested supermarket chickens flesh and found that 96% of Tyson chicken packages were contaminated with a dangerous bacterium that causes 2.4 million cases of food poisoning each year. Yeah, don't eat Tyson Farms. I would never buy something from Tyson Farms. So do you see their entire style relies on using arguments that nobody on my side is actually promoting at all? We're like, yeah, PETA, we're on your side. Yeah, I don't buy from Tyson Farms. First of all, I don't even really eat chicken because it it's not really that abundant in nutrients compared to, say, like red meat or fish. So I don't really feel a necessity to even eat those. So... Oh, you're going to tell me that a tortured animal that lived a miserable life and like, and you find it at a typical grocery store and Tyson Farms, one of the biggest factory farm corporations on the planet. Like, okay, well, yeah, we don't support that. Sure. So yeah, Pete, I agree with you. Like, I don't eat that chicken either. And I don't really recommend anybody does. Yeah considering Tyson's has had so many issues with just the company itself. Um, <laughs> uh, scandal so, after scandal. Yeah, no, no kidding. Um, number six, feed the world. In fact, it takes up to 13 pounds of grain to produce one pound of animal flesh. Well, if that were true, then why have we not fed the world already? Why is everybody still starving still? Because it's wrong. If they were right, we would have 100 years, if not way longer, because they've been growing grains for thousands of years now, we'd have examples of hunger being solved. But when you go into these places where they're starving, they give them things that make them starve more, like grains. So it's not actually nutritious food. So when I just think about the nutrient density I can get from 13 pounds of grains and then the nutrient density I could get from like a pound of steak, you're going to get more nutrient bioavailability and bioabsorption from like a fat steak than you would from, or one pound is what they're saying to 13 pounds of grains. Sure. So it's just not true. It's just, yeah. it, it would have been done already. Everywhere is, they're, they're, they're doing this everywhere. The majority of these places are growing plants. So why is everybody still hungry? 
And uh, number seven, save the planet. Of course, that's pretty ambiguous in itself. Save, <laughs> save our meat production is use, wasteful and causes enormous amounts of pollution. And the industry is also one of the biggest causes of the climate crisis. Of course, the, the dreaded climate crisis. And now I, I say to that, okay, now use that same exact premise as you used and give me the data for plant farming. The climate change, this, that. You go, PETA, do the analysis. The statistics are readily available. There are plenty of studies on the topic. And then tell me if it's better or worse. See, that's the thing is that on my side, yes, I agree with y'all. Yes, it is doing all these bad things that you say in the current structure that they're doing it in. But the thing is with a lot of vegans, uh, you know, with PETA, what we find is that they're hardcore absolutists and they're, they don't want a middle ground. It's either you have to be this or else insert all the shit talking and trying to bring you down and, you know, Balance insert all that here. So it, it's just, they're just ignoring it. It, it, it. And it's, it's like how casually, how comfortable it is to just ignore all the data that would immediately smash all of your beliefs. Because if it comes down to one life equals one life, then naturally speaking, just the bee population getting destroyed is enough. And again, that's just one animal out of the many different animals. And then the environment that's getting destroyed when you have to till the land. Like when this is, this is the thing again with farming, people do not know what it takes to actually make a farm, right? So when you buy the land, you have to chop out all the land. And these tilling machines that these farms are using, they're not using the better tilling methods that keep the soil nice. No, no, no. They are ripping through the soil and destroying the entire environment. So you're telling me, PETA, you're telling me that an, a cow that goes and eats the grass that's naturally growing and then the grass grows naturally by itself again is worse than ripping apart thousands of acres of land and then growing your crop and then spraying all the pesticides and all this bullshit on it. I mean, like we just have to think about what the term pesticide even means. So all the plants are being grown with some kind of pesticide or another. And what does pesticide mean? That means getting rid of an animal. A <laughs> pest is some kind of usually animal. So <laughs> the very sure. premise of how to grow a plant means you have to kill animals. Well, I feel like a lot of people will stay kind of stuck in their echo chamber. You know, there's only thing more dangerous than a confirmation bias is confirmation bias that's also has moral superiority built into it. Fortunately, there's probably not going to be a lot of people who, who shift in this direction with this type of information just because yeah, they're, they're virtue signaling. They feel, they feel like they're doing the right thing regardless of uh, the counter information that's out there. 
But um, I know we're, we're getting really close here to uh, wrapping this up. I know Matt has to go here in a minute or two. Um, can you just really quickly maybe tell people how they could find non-factory farm meat? I know you talked about um, the grass-fed stuff, but is there any other tips you, you could give people? Yes. Um, and first, it's very important to know, um, Jason, people are waking up to this vegan propaganda at an alarming rate right now. Yeah. Um, you know, just the fact that me and you are talking about this right now, like you said, you've been a vegetarian for years and something sparked for you to explore this alternative deeper. A lot of people right now are finding this out. Like right now, I constantly have vegan friends who contact me and say, hey, you were right. I looked into what you were saying because the thing with the plant-based community and the vegan community, they're intelligent people. They're not dumb right. and they're caring people. They're empathetic people. So their, their premise is in the right place. It's just, you're, you're kind of going down this road instead of this road. And mm -hmm. then that, the, the road you're taking doesn't lead you to the right um, conclusion of where your premise starts. So if you want to, to answer your question, if you want to start integrating this into your life and living that more sustainable, environmentally friendly and less destructive um, lifestyle, then the first thing is, I mean, if you have the availability to do it and you have the knowledge to do it, you should do it yourself. Um, you should grow your own animals and you should slaughter them yourself and harvest them yourself. However, if you don't have the ability to do that, which many of us do not, then if you live in a city, for example, like I said, uh, you know, grass-fed options are available everywhere these days. Um, so what do I do? Uh, right now, I don't have my farm yet. I will in the near future. But right now, I found a local small family farm and there are three employees. They have some cows. Slaughter it. Really small business. Um, so go find small businesses. The mom and pop farms are all around and they're starving themselves. They need your support because they're the ones who, against all of the pressure of the government and of the other big corporations, they still stick to that small business style. Um, and Matt, to your earlier point, uh, that's how we shift people is by everybody realizing that if you want to go to Whole Foods, you're supporting the biggest corporation in the country or one of the biggest. All you have to do is go do a Google search like I did. Small farm, grass fed, grass finished. And don't just get grass fed. Uh, important point, y'all. Important point. This is a marketing tactic that's used in this industry just because it says it's grass fed does not mean that the animal was fed grass its entire life so when you are getting um say cows that are being fed grass make sure that your packaging says grass fed and grass finished or 100 grass fed because what a lot of farms do is they grass feed and then they corn finish 
to fatten up the animal to make it taste better. And in my mind, it's like, so you're diseasing the animal. No, I'm good. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you want to make sure that it says 100% um, grass-fed, grass-finished. Also, taking that to the next step, when you talk to these um, farms, these local farms, even if it's, say, at Whole Foods, that grass-finished option that they have at Whole Foods usually comes from some local farm. So you can go on their website, find their phone number, find their email, and you can contact them. So when I do business with different farms and I'm buying meat uh, from different people, I ask them very important questions like, how was the animal transported to slaughter? How was the animal slaughtered? What kind of slaughterhouse is it? Because end of life, you know, that's really the most important part of all of this. So, you know, taking it to the whole PETA mindset where they go and expose these factory farms and these local small farms that do kind of shady shit too. You know, I'm sure you guys have seen those hidden camera videos of the vegans who go and they're like, you see, these small farms are just the same. They treat these animals bad too. Oh, look at... So if you really want to be transparent, and I will tell you, most of these farmers are okay with you going to their farm and seeing these processes. They actually, a lot of them welcome it because nobody asked them these questions. So they're usually shocked. Like, my consumer wants to know this? Great, come on over. So, you know, it's really just building a local connection with everything that you do in your life. You know, whether that's, your food or your spirituality, it's just make it as local as possible. Your politics, everything should just be more localized because the alternative is we have to bring in non-native crops like, oh, let's go bring that coconut over from uh, Asia and then transport it over here, extract it, this, that. So just have it be as local as possible people are kind of sick and tired of um, the kind of like globalist mindset where we have to kind of take all these businesses to all these different far off places and then kind of connect as one earth. You know, I think it's better if we start from local and then go out instead of what the globalist mindset today is, is kind of starting from the outside in. I think we should go from the inside out and that goes with everything in life start from the inside and then go out from there and if that has to do with your diet that means you're going to be hitting up that local farm down the street so do your due diligence it's your body it's literally the only thing that you own in this entire existence this good point physical vessel we own nothing else in reality so make it count Oh, great point, man. Great point to end on as well. And uh, yeah, it's just a matter of paying attention, right? Doing your due diligence, just like we wake up to the political system. I mean, it's the same thing involves, uh, you know, your diet and just paying attention to what you eat, where your food comes from, uh, the quality of it, of course, how it affects you. All those things are very important. So uh, Matt had to kind of cut out here. I know he's, he had to pick up his, uh, his daughter, I believe. Um, do you mind giving us, do you want to plug anything or giving us, you know, where people could follow you and then uh, we could wrap this up? Yeah. So 
Y'all can find me on all social media at Amir Zen official. And it would be greatly appreciated if y'all could support my small business. Specker, we are just trying to make the world a better place uh, to the point of everything I've been saying, you know, support local, support small businesses. Uh, we really need to shift into that local mindset if we want to have a positive, loving, and most importantly, free future. So if you all have any questions about this, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, you could also check out uh, on my social media. I have a bunch of different content on this topic. And uh, maybe we'll be seeing uh, Jason eating a fat ribeye steak soon. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll there, see. there are a lot of good farms around your area, by the way. So good, good to know, man. Yeah, I think we'll be talking about this much more over the coming few months. And uh, it was really eye-opening, man. And I appreciate your time, your expertise on this subject. Uh, of course, it's a very hot topic issue right now. So I'm glad we could give our audience a little bit of perspective on it. And uh, who else better than yourself, man, to wade through these waters with. So thank you, Amir. Appreciate your time, brother. Thank you, brother. Peace and love to you. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Bye, y'all.